Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 437 of the Longbox Heroes. This is Joe. Todd, are you here? I am here, and I am ready, and I'm not tired or old or anything. I'm ready to talk about comics. Mm -hmm. I am tired, I am old, but I am also ready to talk about comics, because we've got a humdinger of a show in front of us here, and I'm looking at the script. Hang on, I, I wish I had a piece of paper ready to go so I could waggle it in front of the microphone. There's oh. the script, but we're going to throw that script out and just fly by the seat of our pants this week. Oh, I thought you were the wick waggler, not the paper waggler. Oh, boy. I've read your uh, your Twitter page. So. My Twitter bio, 10 mm-hmm. good buddy. Yep. Mm-hmm. But we got lots, I guess. Yes, we do. Uh, lots of DC news. Lots of Marvel news. A lot of it is follow-up on <laughs> stories that we have been following here for the better part of 2019. Uh, we have a ton of sales and freebies to discuss on the digital comic side of things. We've got conventions, even one that's local to us this weekend. Ooh. So much so I had people coming up to me at Super Secret Science Job asking me if I was aware of this, and I had to say, of course I was. You're uh, in the know. That's right. We have, uh, what we read from this past week, which was, uh, Batman number 64, Old Man Quill, Number one, and uh, two books that were not on either one of our schedules, uh, Ooh, but, two. you know, we're going to talk about them anyway. Ooh, very fresh, this show is. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, uh, Todd's Art Attack, if any of that has happened, and the most recent episode of the CW's The Flash. Yay! Uh, so, just to kind of start things off here... Um, in multiple, multiple stories that have been followed up multiple, multiple times on the show, uh, it is another Wednesday, so that means it's another week <laughs> that Doomsday Clock number nine is delayed. <sighs> this is the linchpin to the whole series, Todd. We've discussed this before. Issue eight was the best first issue that we've seen of this run so far. And now we are to the last week of February, when it was originally supposed to ship, oh, not then. Now, this one we do get a little bit more information on, uh, as Gary Frank, the artist, said that, uh, he just said, sorry for the delays, feel like we owe you something for your patience, uh, so here's uh, some pencils of a scene that was cut from a previous draft. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, some other stuff. Then we have a variant cover for issue 11. Let's not put the cart before the horse there, guys. <laughs> Let's get nine out first before we start teasing variants for 12, 11. Um, and then Gary Frank says, I've never been, thanks for the support, never been involved uh, with something this scale and complexity and sometimes getting it as close to perfect as we can uh, means a little extra work. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, Todd. Are we and feeling confident that this issue 12 is going to be out by the uh, end of uh, 2019 now? Uh, I'm still saying November. You're Ooh. still... <laughs> 
But let me throw this monkey wrench into uh, is it. There, too, is there Joe. something new hot off the wire as we're recording that it's been delayed yet again? No. As of yesterday at 9 a.m., <laughs> as we record this, the Lake Como Comic Art Festival, we are happy to announce Gary Frank as a guest for the second edition of hashtag LCCAF on May 18th and 19th, 2019 at Villa Urba Cerebibo, Italy. So he's going to Italy for a Comic Con in in uh in May. So that shouldn't affect his getting uh Doomsday Clock done at all. <laughs> well, Todd, let's let's pretend uh in the next three months he'll get those three issues done. Well, if they still come out on their, their dates that they're supposed to, mm-hmm. then they will. I mean, who what who pushes books back? Oh, boy. Well, I tell you, DC doesn't push books back, but they also cancel books as well. Oh, what books would they be canceling, <laughs> The other thing that I've been keeping an eye on is just kind of <laughs> keeping track of some of the books uh, that DC is soliciting, the collections that DC is soliciting, and then canceling or maybe stopping in the middle of a run of multiple things. Now, both of the most recent cancellations are a bit of a shocker. Uh, one is the omnibus of Batgirl of Burnside, uh, which was from New 52. I'm not really sure where uh, that was. Cameron Stewart, she was like, it was the one that everyone called Hipster Batgirl. Yeah, she had the vest, I think. Right. Uh, a little bit more purple and yellow popping on that. Right. Um, so the full collection of that got canceled, which is odd because that seemed like it was... Um, you know, it was it was a very popular thing at the time, right? Right. Um, so it's very and it's the it was the whole series collected in one thing. You know, it still has its fans, everything like that, and then that gets canceled. I think it got canceled two days after the final order cutoff date for it. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that we actually talked about on the show a couple months ago was the newest, most recent absolute Dark Knight hardcover by Frank Miller was cancelled as well. And this was going to have Dark Knight Returns and Dark Knight Strikes again in a new hardcover edition. Slipcase, maybe with the... What's the DC imprint that's supposed to have all these things in it called? The Black Label, Joe. Black Label. I'm I'm sure this was going to be like a Black Label release. But we questioned why they were doing this again when it was announced, and Mm -hmm. now I'm questioning why they're canceling it uh, this late into whenever you had to have the cutoff for it. And I'll tell you why they're... they're, they're canceling it because uh, I was saw a couple of people, you know, talking about it, and, and I looked it up and everything. You can get you can get the I think the original absolute of Dark Knight and this thing because this is a reprint. They had an absolute already. I think you can get it on Amazon cheaper than what they're asking for the new one that's coming out. So like, why would you like? They're still available. Why would you try and get you know? Do you know what I'm trying to say? That doesn't make any sense. But I okay. So that being said, why solicit it in the first place? Because nobody looked it up. I bet you. Nobody was like, "Oh, we can get." We can, you can no buy one assumed cheaper. that quite arguably the most popular Batman story of the last forty years was not readily and frequently in print. 
No, no. <laughs> what I mean is the same format. Oh. <laughs> but this one had a black label sticker on it. Oh, and couldn't we know they how just much recall some stickers. of the ones that are already out of the shelf? Or maybe the people who bought it, they just get a sticker. Oh, I think that's. I think you should get a pin if you get oh. the, if you buy the. If you're like, oh, I want to, I want to have the old Dark Knight uh, returns. Well, mm. here's a pin. So I don't know. I and again. You know, we speculate. It's like, well, they canceled that because they're not happy with this person or they're not talking to that person or whatever it is. Like, they have Frank Miller doing stuff for them all the time. And I get what you're saying is that this edition already exists in the exact same format that they were soliciting a new one. It just makes me wonder why they were doing it anyway. I agree. And and, and you did get that I said you can get the old one cheaper, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's a big that's a big... I don't know. That's a big factor. I, I don't know. And, and I still think, uh, I, I wonder what the over under was, like what the odds were that that Batgirl omnibus would have been, would have had ever, all the pages in the correct order, all the word balloons. Like that's another whole, another kettle of fish that you wonder. It's like those, those omnibi don't fly, you know? Right. So, so one I have to bring up here, and this is the last bit of bashing on DC because they're checked in cash this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there's an ongoing joke uh, on this show, Todd. Mm-hmm. And the ongoing joke, and we've probably done the explanation, but it bears repeating here. An ongoing joke on this show is whenever a book gets <laughs> delayed, Todd, why is a book getting delayed? Because it's getting an extra issue and a better ending. Okay. So I had to dig back into uh, the Tumblrverse to pull up from Brian Michael Bendis' Tumblr. Civil War II, number five, was due out in August, but now it's coming out in mid-September. Why? Is this event going to be another delay like Secret Wars was? Was a random question that he got. So <laughs> Bendis replies... Well, if you peek over at the artist's Facebook, you'll discover that he and his amazing wife uh, just had a baby boy, and a very cute baby at that. Uh, No, the book's not in delay hell or a conspiracy, just a baby in the middle of of the hardest issue to draw, the ending of four shows that five is a monster. Ending of issue four. Uh, David has been handing in about a page a day for the last couple of weeks, so we're getting back on track. Everything seems to be right. You know, reasonable excuse. So much so that Marvel greenlit an eighth issue for us. I came up with a better better ending that needed the pages. Very grateful they allowed us to do our thing. <laughs> so, that would never happen again. That's just a joke, right? It's It was a one-time instance that would never happen again. That's right. We get a lot of mileage out of that joke. And where would we ever be able to do that joke again, Joe? Right. So with his move over to uh, DC, uh, in addition to the two Superman books, plus writing and co-writing at least two of the Wonder Comics lines, uh, Young Justice and Naomi, mm-hmm. Brian Michael Bendis also released not one, not two, but three you know, kind of create our own sort of things. Uh, Scarlet cover, and I can't remember what the third one was called. Something Town or Liberty or... Okay. 
I don't and, remember. And we had postulated many times in the show uh, that these were just things that maybe he had laying around that were going to be put out on Marvel's icon imprint. And then he goes over to DC. He's like, hey, I got all this stuff. You want to print all this stuff? So you have like a big Bendis blitz to throw out there, you know? Well, we were wrong, Todd. Because uh, Scarlet is wrapped up. Uh, Cover, unfortunately, is late, Todd. It's late? Issue 6 of Cover has slipped from uh, February 20th to the 13th of March. It'll still be the same price, but it'll have 29 pages instead of 22 pages. Here's from Bendis' Tumblr. <laughs> David and I are so deeply grateful to the readers and retailers who have spread the word about this book. We came up with some extra fun ideas for the last issue, and we thought the extra pages were the best way to say thank you. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. Well, Bendis, you know, can. <sighs> what if... What if a certain big time company at a you know an entertainment group said, "I have a better match and it's longer, oh. and we're going to use that instead"? No, that okay. So essentially, you joke, but that would essentially be in the middle of an ongoing professional wrestling match. <laughs> See, I can't even use that example because something similar to that has happened before. And there you go, where something similar uh, has happened where. Let's say in the overall overview of the show, right? Mm -hmm. There was a very famous house show at Madison Square Garden, in the mecca of world wrestling and entertainment, where Rhino and Tajiri, if you're familiar with ECW or, you know, that era EC, or WWF, were having a match. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the match, Vince comes out and tells them both to get out of the ring. Okay. Go to the crowd. <laughs> not whisper to someone to send a message to the referee to go to the finish. He just comes out and tells them both to get out of the ring. <laughs> and he sends another segment to the ring. In the middle of the show, Vince just decides, I don't like the way this match is going. We're going to end it, and I'm going to send something different out. <laughs> now, I can go. see if you're a wild, crazy, megalomaniacal maniac like Brian Michael Bendis, but this is very unbecoming behavior of the normal, even-keeled <laughs> Vince McMahon. <laughs> So let me get this straight. Could we officially call doing this to comics the Bendis finish? <sighs> we could. <laughs> That's what I'm calling it from now on. I'll this comic just got the Bendis finish. Extra pages and a new ending. Where is he in Seattle? It's the Seattle screw job or something? <laughs> oh, the Seattle, I don't even know. I'm not even trying anymore. But again, I'll give you once. And that's enough. It was such a ridiculous thing that we make the joke about it. But right. It, ha it happened again. It's, hey, copy an A, get an A, Joe. I guess. I don't know. Uh, so just one thing real quick. Uh, as another follow-up on an ongoing story that we've discussed here, because it's not just DC that has late books. Marvel has late books as well. Most specifically, it seems as though it's the books of Dan Slott. Now, Again, I've perused Dan Slott's social media, and I can't see him addressing the reason why these books are his books are running late. The two he's currently doing, Fantastic Four and Tony Stark Iron Man. Uh, it was just announced recently, two different stories. Um, you know, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago that issue nine, and then, of course, like, the dominoes just fall. Like, everything's, like, running two weeks behind, right? 
So now, starting with issue nine, it looks as though Jim Zub, who is currently doing Champions, is going to be co-writing the book with Dan Slott. Now, it doesn't say for how long he's going to be doing it for, but the fact that they've added him on as a co-writer for at least starting with issue nine. Um, Now, on top of that, issues 12 and 13 which were supposed to be part of the War of the Realms crossover, are now just being completely written by Gail Simone. Well, you got to get those tie-ins, you know, in there. You can't be waiting around. Right. So, I wish I knew what was going on with Dan Slott, because I'm a fan of his work. Um, I hope this is just being done to, one, help him get these books out on time, and then, two, so he has more time to focus on getting Fantastic Four, which is supposed to be a big flagship book. You know, coming out, the big relaunch, there hasn't been a Fantastic Four book published in however many years, and now here it is. Um, and that being late, and an Iron Man book being late, at least they're making the inroads, Marvel, that is, to get these books out on time. And then, of course, as Todd just mentioned, those crossover books need to hit at a certain time, man. And I'm glad to see Marvel not messing around. They're like, listen, if you can't get these two books done that are part of this big, giant, major crossover, we'll just have someone else do them. That's right, because I don't know if you know this about Marvel crossovers, Joe. Every issue is important, so well, you have to get these out. Now, and I'll say this, you know, yes, they'll say every issue is important, but they're lying. What? But when something that I'm currently reading crosses over with something that I'm reading as well, and that thing that I'm already reading gets affected because it's late or the crossover is late or something's late. It just angries up my blood. Mm -hmm. You know, I know we had talked um, when Jason Aaron left Dr. Strange and it was a writer that we were, you know, not hot on, but not cold on. And his first issue was one late because the last issue of Dr. Strange was late. It came out like out of order. Mm hmm but also was tying into the Secret Empire crossover, which I don't think either one of us were interested in as well. No, I had jumped ship on that early in the run. Right. So if this was any sort of other situation where it's not a crossover that's involving Jay- written by Jason Aaron, involving the Thorverse, which we have been ard- ardently following for the better part of the entire time Jason Aaron has been on the book... <laughs> Mm-hmm. and crossing over with a book that I think we're both reading. Yes. You know, if this was a thing where it wasn't a crossover that we weren't following by a creator that we weren't big fans of, and a book that we were kind of running hot and cold on, and it was getting a replacement writer on it because it was late, that's the perfect recipe to drop a book. Mm-hmm. I'm glad Marvel is doing everything that they can to keep you, and more importantly me, as a reader of their books. And a high-quality, you know, writer for those fill-ins. Right. They could have got you and me to finish the book. That's right. Iron Man. Panel one, puts on armor. Panel two, hits someone. Panel three, it's like, it's... Panel three says, hey, how come Doctor Doom's not here? That's right. Hey, everybody, it's Doctor Doom. Um, But uh, just, I don't know, I'm I'm glad they're doing it, and I'm with you. But I have a question. What gets your blood running hotter? That... Or when they cancel the last trade and never put it out of a storyline, you know what I mean? Like, um, man, I 
I still have pains inside of my soul that they <laughs> never finished that Rebels run by Tony Bedard. Right. Oh. You know, I, I like and the and the doctor the, the strange the Doctor Strange thing. I moved on. It was a nice finalized run. Donnie Cates came on for a couple uh, issues, and it just kind of like in you know it helped build that fandom that I have now of Donnie Cates. And then you know the Mark Wade stuff came on. It was like Doctor Strange in space, and I'm like I like Mark Wade a lot, but we're okay. I don't need Doctor Strange in space. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe this up-and-comer Gail Simone will come on Tony Stark <laughs> Iron Man, and you'll learn to like, you know, her stories, too. Right. Maybe. We'll see. Right. So, again, a lot of follow-up on the news, but a lot of interesting stuff <laughs> going right. on. All the same stories every week. <laughs> but, again, we're a news show. You know, it's not like... The the real news, and I don't want to say fake news because that's a lie, but the other news, the one that actually reports on real things, when they do the news, it's not like, all right, uh, we did the news once, and uh, hopefully nothing ever developed on that again because we did it once. Something happened in the Middle East. We can never do that again. Right. That Most news stories end with more on this as it develops. Just right. assume at the end of every news story that we do, we're saying more on this as it develops. That's what we should do after we talk about Doomsday Clock every time. Oh. <laughs> Morons, this later. Oh. So, uh, conventions this weekend, Todd. Uh, so, there's a couple all over the United States. There is the Fan Fair, and Fair is spelled F-A-I-R in New York City. Mm-hmm. More of your comic booky thing. I like seeing the more comic book stuff going on, and that's what we get a lot of this weekend. Uh, Neil Adams, Mark Bagley, Larry Hama, uh, Adam Kubert are at that show. Uh, there's the Long Beach Comic Expo in California. Uh, Ron Mars, Marguerite Bennett, uh, Kevin Nolan, Jerry Conway, Norn Ra- Norm Rapmund. One uh, mm. uh, of those, like... Uh, I think he's he's another unsung uh, creator from the uh, 80s and 90s. I agree. I thought you were trying to say Norrin Rad there no, for a no. second. When you see it together, like his his last name is R-A-P-M-U-N-D, and it just mm-hmm. doesn't feel right, but that's the man's name. That's right. Uh, also at this convention is Dan DiDio. Oh! And uh, I would, and they're doing a thing where it's like conversation, like one of the panels is conversations with Dan DiDio. If you're a West Coast listener, I don't know. Go ask Dan how things are going over at DC and see what he says. <laughs> Dan, right. whatever your opinion may be on Dan, and he was a hot guy to kind of give the business to in the late to mid two thousands, mm-hmm. and he's been kind of quiet over the last I don't know three years. And I call Dan DiDio the new Rasputin, baby. He survived more assassination attempts at DC. He's they're they're they've always killed him. You see these shakeups at DC. Dan Didio's head on the block, and it's like, huh, and he just comes like he just comes like disco and out of the office, like still around everybody. He's been Love. so he's been so out of the uh, public eye. I've lost the ability to do his uh, impression. Uh, I don't think he ever found the ability. Oh, so come on! I did a fantastic impression of somebody else's impression of Dan Didio. You did do a Jay Moore-like quality of personation. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, but this weekend, in our neck of the woods, in beautiful Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, is mm-hmm. Ice Wars Comic Con. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the Clark Summit, kind of a little bit more fancy of an area near the Scranton Wilkes Bear area, uh, they mm-hmm. would do a gimmick with a bunch of ice sculptures with a theme, right? Like last year it was like Harry Potter stuff, and the year before that was comic book stuff, and this year. Rock and roll. Stuff right, like that. right. And this year it's Star Wars stuff, since the name is Ice Wars. And then someone there got the bright idea hey, the people that come and look at these things are probably, you know, into comic books. Let's have a comic book convention in conjunction with this. And a lot of the local uh, creators, uh, including Tom Durenick, a uh, friend of the show, artist of our fancy uh, logo, DC Comics ex- artist extraordinaire is going to be there, Scott Beatty's <laughs> going to be there, Dan Parent's going to be there, Bob McCloud's going to be there. So it's, you know, an actual real convention going on. Mm-hmm. And always, whenever you're mentioning Tom Durenick, you have to put in there... The definitive Colonel Sanders artist. I wanted to think of some other fancy name, fancy way to say that, but I couldn't mm-hmm. think of it. I'm glad that you said the definitive. He uh, is. He's like, you know, like the definitive Colonel Sanders artist in my mind. So if you are in the northeastern Pennsylvania area and you are going to this convention, bring a bucket of chicken for Tom <laughs> to sign or at least to draw a picture of Green Lantern on or something. Oh, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. In gravy. Oh, my goodness. I'll dip his pen in gravy. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so are you going to the convention this weekend? I'm trying to make time. I want to get. To, I want to see some ice sculptors. I want to go up and see who's there. Maybe get Maybe get a Bob McCloud sketch. Who knows? I, I have to see what my schedule is. Right. And I got to see uh, Saturday, unfortunately, is no good for me. But Sunday is Pokemon Day. And depending on what's going on with the rest of the day, Pokemon is in that area, so maybe we might swing by before Pokemon. Mm-hmm. With the Pokey and the Man. Pokey and the Man. I think yeah. I watched that TV show <laughs> in the 70s. Yes. That's from, uh, our listeners know this. This is from an episode of The Simpsons where <laughs> they were watching Kids Say the Darndest Things. Mm-hmm. And it was them doing the Bill Cosby impersonation. Right. And uh, he asked the little boy what he's into, and the kid says Pokemon. And then Bill Cosby go, and Bill Cosby goes off in a Bill Cosby esque rant, and <laughs> says it's the Pokey and the Man and the Pokey. So, <laughs> Pokemon. I get it. So the links to those conventions <laughs> will be in the show notes, as will a link to uh, soon to be named Network dot com at soon to be named Tumblr dot com. Uh, where you could find all of these great shows and our little conglomeration of uh, like-minded individuals every time their shows come out, uh, every time they appear on other shows and remind me of these things, or our own shows when I decide to remember to put them up on the site, whether it be this show, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, um, which is, I don't know, a fun conversation that I didn't plan on having about my future, Um, (laughs) (laughs) and Todd's pill addiction. That is true. (laughs) And just so you know, it's eight. <laughs> oh, there you go. That'll make sense on Friday. Um, exactly. Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, of course, uh, Podvocacy, which is like the pre-show now before Wrestling on the Edge of Forever came out, and they even threw a bonus episode in there this week where they did a live watch-along of a match that happened live. I don't know if you saw me winking into the uh, microphone there. Uh, in Los Angeles winking into the camera again, as Stokely Hathaway uh, competed for the Independent Wrestling TV Championship against, uh, I'd say, network favorite, Orange Cassidy. Definitely. Definitely. 
not filmed in Wilkes-Barre. Anyway, uh, also uh, wrestling on the uh, edge of forever. I always forget the end part of that. And they're going to – Jason and Dave are going to give me business for uh, not saying that. I think I already said it once. But, yes, wrestling on the edge of forever, uh, podvocacy, and then their bonus show that they had this week. And, hey, whenever anybody else shows up on other shows – as well, those shows show up on the site, just like my recent appearance on the five-star match game, where uh, Joe Gagney, podcast gadabout, hosts myself, and good friends of mine, Rob Naylor and Mike Falcone, as we tested our knowledge of the history of extreme championship wrestling. Mm, sounds delightful. It was, it was a fun time, and people are raving about it, Todd. Not raving, you know, what about me? But they're oh. raving, like, whoa, this was fun. I I was smiling the whole time I listened. Well, that's because, you know, sad Scotty Flamingo is better, you know, when he's happy. So this makes him smile, so everybody's <laughs> raving. I got it. I, I know this is just the way things uh, shook out, but I think Joe purposely made sure that I got no questions about Raven. Oh. I don't think Joe did that on purpose, but I wanted to say that during the course of the show, but I'm saying it here. Anyway, okay. check that out. Check out all the other shows from the Soon to Be Named Network. Uh, Soon to Be Named Network.com. Soon to Be Named Network.tumblr.com. There is a boatload of sales going on uh, this week. Marvel has no less than three, four sales going on. Uh, Avengers No Surrender Sale, which is the. Uh, in conjunction with them doing the weekly Avengers book again this year. Marvel's doing a Valentine's Day sale. Marvel's epic and oversized collection sale is still going on. Silver Age books from Marvel are on sale as well. So Marvel has a ton of stuff going on. DC has their Valentine's Day Heroes in Love sale, which is going on as well. Dynamite has sales going on for Red Sonja, as well as Dynamite First. Boom still has their sale going on of Heroines of Boom Studios. IDW has Transformers graphic novels on sale. Image has a Best of 2018 sale. Dark Horse has a sale on Umbrella Academy stuff, and I think that somehow ties into Coheed and Cambria, and I can't think of two people who that would interest. Uh, But all of the links to all of those sales are in the show notes, as well as the new Marvel freebies that are available. And there is a scheme to these, Todd. Or an opportunity? No, these are the, uh, like a like a like a theme. I said scheme, oh. but I meant to say theme. Okay. Uh, Avengers icons, Tigra number one, Hit Monkey number one, Howard the Duck number one, and Super Villain Team Up, Modox Eleven number one. Hulu, that sounds like some good books. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we don't we don't talk too much about like the new TV and movie announcements, but Marvel is doing some sort of. Uh, like, dirty cartoon with those characters and Dazzler for Hulu mm-hmm. that they announced this week, and I don't know. We'll we'll see how that goes. Hopefully they'll bring those canceled Netflix shows over to Hulu. <laughs> and then I see things of Kevin Smith wanting to do a live-action Howard the Duck show for Hulu, and I don't know. It's the Wild West over there on Hulu. I think you can just <laughs> do whatever you want. They'll give us a show. No, let's not go that crazy. Uh, so again, those will also be in the show notes, the links to the, all that stuff. Let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Where would you like to begin? Because we got lots and lots to talk about. Let me start with Old Man Quill, because it was the book I was looking forward to most, as you judged me last week when I mentioned it. Yes. Um, I did. Basic, I, did I did judge you. 
Right. It's written by Ethan Sachs and art by Robert Gill, I believe. Um, it takes place in the future, obviously. And at this point, uh, Peter Quill is the emperor of Spartra- Spartax. I think that's how you say the, the thing. He has a wife and kids and they're the, the, uh, Church of Truth is, you know, raining, you know, de- devastation across the galaxy. So they come to his planet and he says, I'm going to stop them once and for all. And I'm going to send the fleet, but I'm going to lead it personally. And he gets there and he thinks he's defeated the fleet, but really the, the priestess says, no, this is just a diversion. So he goes back and his planet's been wiped out. Jump ahead even more years and uh, Quill's living on his uh, space station above the planet, just drinking himself stupid when the Guardians of the Galaxy, which consists of Gamora, uh, Rocket Raccoon, uh, Drax, and Mantis show up and say, we need you for a mission. He doesn't want to go, but Mantis is like, we need him because I've seen him... Uh, He's the the key. He'll be holding the relic on Earth, and uh, Quill's mad at Earth because they didn't come when he called because they were busy probably having a secret war or a civil war or whatever. So they end up mentioning that part of what's uh, what's going on with the relic on on Earth is the church, and he's like, "All right, now I'm in." So they go to Earth like during the old man Logan time, and they end up through a series of events fighting the brood and crashing on Earth and realize that, you know, uh, to make a quick statement, uh, Quill's at the foot of Mount Rushmore and he's like, it's kind of like that, uh, that scene in, in, uh, Planet of the Apes where he's looking up at the, the Statue of Liberty, but you know, things just quite aren't right. And he's like, something's really bad has happened here. Um, it was everything that I thought it was. I'm not going to say this is the greatest book I ever read. I'm not going to say it's the worst book I ever read. It's just an old man X book. Um, it's, it's light fluff in a, in a section of the Marvel universe that I enjoyed. So I got my, my money out of it, but I'm going to say, if you don't enjoy the old man books, uh, this might not be for you. I mean, like I said, just decent fluff. Now, is this a uh, ongoing? Is this a 12-issue miniseries? What are we looking at with this? Uh, this is definitely a finite series, and I think it's 12 again, like the old man Hawkeye was. But I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. I'll check while you're talking. So, uh, I thought this was okay. As you mentioned, fluff, I guess. There was no new ground broken here uh, outside of whatever the old man format is. Mm-hmm. And as I, you know, I scoffed at Todd last week, and I think I might have scoffed at you before when I said uh, when DC did the parody of Old Woman Harley as kind of a mm-hmm. parody of these. It's like, okay, once the competition is doing a parody, you need to stop doing them unless you have some sort of fantastic idea. And I don't think this was that fantastic idea. I think this, like I said, was just okay. It is a 12-issue series, but uh, yeah, I get what you said. I, like I said, I'm just a sucker for these, so I enjoy them. If they're going to tell a story, the, the the first issue wasn't that great, but I will admit, with the old man Hawkeye, I, I did not know what the premise of, was until around issue four. I remember talking about this, and then I talked to you, and I think you said, I'm not saying you would have picked up the book, but another person, two other people, uh, the Summer You and Josh, were like, if I had known that it was Hawkeye's revenge flick, 
about him getting back at the Thunderbolts for turning against them during the big, like, you know, uh, heel turn of every, all the villains rising up together. He was like, that made it like the really cool idea for Hawkeye. And I don't think we've, we've hit what the cool idea for old man Quill is, which is a bad way to do a 12 issue series. I, I totally agree, but I'm willing to give it a chance because even though I wasn't a, a Thunderbolts guy, I really like the idea of what old man Hawkeye was about. Gotcha. And like I said, for me, it just didn't grab uh, only because I feel as though the old man stuff is supposed to be for Logan, not for other characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, Hawkeye was in Old Man Logan, but I, I felt as though um, Old Man Logan or Old Man Hawkeye was like a weird like post-retcon of some of the stuff that they may have established in there to tell the Hawkeye story, which was fine. It just wasn't for me. Fair enough. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to keep going on this just because I like the Old Man stuff. But like I said, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't say to any listener, like, get out there and get Old Man Quill, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I get you. So. Uh, my book that I was most looking forward to coming out this week was Batman 64, which was the first part of the uh, crossover going on with The Flash, The Price. Uh, this takes place at, like during the events of Heroes in Crisis, but before the events of other issues of Batman. But at least they tell you that up front, so it kind of gets you into the mindset of where things are going to be. Mm-hmm. So from there, uh, I will say... I thought this was okay. It felt odd that another writer, and again, this is being written by Joshua Williamson, who's currently writing The Flash, uh, with art by Gilliam March. I felt as though it was weird for, and again, I'm going to tread lightly here because I don't want to give away what the book is actually about, that another writer other than Tom King was handling characters created by Tom King. Specifically for the Batman run. I get what you're saying. Specifically for the Batman run. I'm like, okay, um, I I, I hope that, you know, obviously Tom King is going to oversee this, or this is going to be one of those things where it's like, we're going to tell this four-issue story, and we're going to put this this character or characters back to where they were before. I think, I'm with you, I think this was a dip in quality on the book. Um, Because obviously it's Tom King, like I said, but... Uh, from Tom King, but I'm with you. I have a feeling that this is, this is all like, I don't see Batman and flash interacting too much with these characters. I, I feel that everything that's going to happen here is just set up for what these characters are going to do. When we get back to Tom King's run, there's going to be no, there's going to be no resolution in all of this. Um, and I don't know, I, like I said, that's why I kind of didn't really care for it, because I don't know how it's going to tie into Tom King's regular run on the book, and then it's not going to solve the murder that's in Heroes in Crisis, because there's part part of that's going on. They're looking into Wally's, so I don't know, I just look like, this to me, at this point, is filler with a few characters from Tom King's Batman run, so it's it's the worst of all worlds, but I figured that coming in when they mentioned that Tom King needed two-issue break. So I'm like, whatever, I'll buy them. I'm not going to jump ship. And I get the Flash book, too. So mm-hmm. 
It's all it's it's money I was going to spend anyway. Same here. It was just I liked the last one so much because the stakes on that one were so much higher. I think mm-hmm. that right. I was going into this thinking that they were going to do similar uh, high profile, and obviously it doesn't seem as though they're going to be. It seems as though it's more of a Batman story with the Flash in it, written by the Flash writer. Right now, you wonder how much are you going to get the Flash books, or are yes. you just. Yes. Um. Do Do you get the Flash books? Are you only getting it because of this? I'm only getting it because of the crossover. Right. Well, I wonder if the next book will feel more like a you know what I mean, like a yes. Flash issue told from the Flash's perspective and stuff as this goes back and forth, kind of like the other one was. But I think the other one was told way better because that first Zoom uh, Reverse Flash story was amazing when he shows up in the in the in the in the cave is one of my favorite stories of uh, you know. The last couple of years, so I don't know. I just, like you said, it had big, it had big uh, uh, utility belts to fill, and I don't think it did. Right. Uh, let's do my other book. Okay. The one that I suggested to you. Okay. Uh, this is Daredevil number one, uh, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Marco Cicchetto, and a backup second feature by Chip Zdarsky himself. I am a big Daredevil fan and have been a Daredevil fan for a long time, even somehow prior to uh, the run by his creator, Mark Wade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had, anytime a new Daredevil book comes out, I always give it a try. Uh, new creative team, new whatever, and typically I am not let down. The most, cr- the most recent creative team, uh, I gave it a try. I gave it two issues. It didn't click for me for a variety of reasons. So for the first time in the better part of 20 years, I was not getting Daredevil. Uh, okay, I-, I lied a little bit. I didn't get the four-issue miniseries that was essentially just they threw in to fill out the time when it was what if Matt Murdock was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. But anyway, I didn't get those issues. Uh Chip Zdarsky, I'm okay with. Don't love his stuff. Uh, I think he's good working with Matt Fraction on books like Sex Criminals. Uh, I was liking his Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, not loving it, because I thought the other Spider-Man book, the main Spider-Man book, was better. And then this book came out, and somebody mentioned me on Twitter. They're like, hey, you going to get this new Daredevil book? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to get this new Daredevil book. So I read it. And... I was afraid going into it that because I hadn't read Daredevil in so long that I was going to be lost, that I wasn't going to know what was going on with the, you know, two or three years that the other writer was on it that I didn't read. Uh, But they did a good job of filling you in on what happened, the bare bones of things. And outside of one little tiny bit of clunky dialogue and a flashback, I thought this was a really good issue and a really good return to form of a mix of, like, the Kevin Smith era, the Bendis era, like, a really good mix of all these other previous runs that I like so much of Daredevil. So I'm Mm -hmm. back on the Daredevil train with the uh, current Chip Zdarsky run. I, I feel as though I have not missed anything in the times that I was away. Okay. Uh, Daredevil uh, was injured very badly. He had to have surgery to repair his back. And now he's just getting back into the swing of things. Uh, you know, pun intended with his billy club that he uses to swing around town. And while he's doing this and kind of having a crisis of, you know should I still be doing this? Could I still be doing this? It seems as though 
he doesn't have all the kinks worked out of being the Daredevil that he used to be. He can still instill fear into the heart of evildoers, but they still sometimes get the jump on him that maybe causes him to be a little bit more aggressive than he should be, but maybe not. And because the Kingpin is currently the mayor of New York, of course, uh, there is an APB against all superheroes, especially against Daredevil. Kingpin hears Daredevil's back, and he gets a big smile on his face. So there's the book. If that sounds like something you'd want to read, then check it out. I liked it. How about you, Tom? <laughs> no, like you said, I this this book deviated Daredevil's character from me, from the creators that Mark Wade did. You know, all jo- like all joking aside, that run, you know, I know is the aberration of what Daredevil stuff is. Do you know what I mean? Like, usually it's the Frank Miller angsty stuff, dark, and it, it got dark, you know, the Mark Wade run got dark, but he was more fun-loving, you know, wh- whatever. So that's always going to be my Daredevil in a weird way, which is always going to be hard to fill, fill as far as I'm concerned. But reading this Daredevil book, I really enjoyed it. I didn't feel lost. Like you said, there was a couple of questions. I was like, oh, okay, but they were seemed to be answered. Like you said, he was hurt. He needed time to heal. And I was like, I don't, I mean, you know what? They've gotten past what really quick with the whole like ninja evil, whatever. I'm like possessed. I'm like, I don't care. As they say, that's all, uh, you know, angelic Frank that's in the past, a mm-hmm. Punisher. I'm like, I don't need it. I got everything explained and I kind of liked everything that was about it. I liked the fact that, you know, he was doing things. He's like, even like foggy wouldn't approve. Like I jumped into bed with this woman and I did this and like, she seems like an interesting new character is going to show up. I really enjoyed the art. There's a couple of, couple of things where he was talking and he's talking about how he's, you know, things have went sour for him and he has to stand up and do things. And he's sitting on the edge of the bed and the window like the, the, the crossings on the windows are over his face, so it looks like he's wearing a mask while he's sitting and talking. And I'm like, this is visually done well. This is this is well told. And then we get uh, the one character that you didn't quite mention was the cop who's on the hunt for Daredevil because he just he seems like we're not sure if he's a good cop or a bad cop, but he's like, you know, vigilantes are vigilantes. I'm hunting them down, so you don't know where he stands, but I really liked him. And then in the end, like there may be something wrong with Daredevil, and I want to understand like why he had he's had like he seems to be off, and I don't know if it's because of the medication he's taking or what. I don't know. It's all intriguing for me, and it's nothing like the Daredevil that I know. So I actually am thinking about picking up this book to see where it goes. I really liked it that much. Awesome. Now, and obviously, as you mentioned here, uh, Chichetto's art is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chichetto did a bunch of the Star Wars-y stuff uh, about two, three years ago, uh, and actually did the the tail end, the back half of uh, your Old Man Hawkeye. Right. So that's where folks might know uh, Chichetto's work from. But uh, like I said, it's it's really good. I was very impressed by the art, and I came into the book uh, being hopeful to like the new Daredevil run, and I did. Right. So the other book that we've read from this past week, and I'll let Todd take point on this one since he mentioned that he read this, and I picked it up after the fact. Uh, this is Red Sonja number one, the fifth iteration of this by Dynamite in most recent years. Uh, written by Mark Russell, who is not the guy who plays old-timey political music in Washington, <laughs> D.C. Really? I was corrected about that. 
and uh, Mirko Kolak. Uh, so, to uh, okay, to say I'm gonna let you take point in this, but I just want to say this was not the Red Sonia tale I was expecting. It was not. Basically, it starts out with uh, these. Uh, I want to say politician. Kind of like a like a someone who would advise somebody in this, this small town, and this emperor has conquered the town, and he's looking for advisors or, or diplomats or whatever, and they bring him to him, and he says, "I need you to help me. I'm going to this this town." Uh, but he says, first, you've you tried to stand up to me, so you, you, I have to, I have to take over new territories. My empire needs to grow or I will die. He had a vision or something like that. And he said, so if you stand up to me and don't let me just take over your town, that's trying to kill me. So that's treason unless you help me. So he says, I want to take over this small little mud village in the middle of nowhere, which just so happens to be the birthplace of Red Sonia. And he's like, there's, there's nothing to win here. He's like, if you, if you win, you get, you know, uneducated mud people, like kind of a thing. Like they live with no crops. They, they have nothing. But they have uh, that ability to, to stretch out the skin of the cow and cook everything inside of it. Right. They have a great, uh, self-cooking cow recipe, they call it, right? Right. So he's like, he's like, oh, so you don't think, you know, you want to help me? All right, here's this horrible way you're going to die. We'll put you in a sack with this represents that. And it's, it's actually pretty funny. And then he's like, so I'm going to send somebody else and they're going to, they're going to attack this town. So they go and while that's going on, Red Sonia's running from these, these raiders or whatever. And she ends up getting, getting the drop on them. And then she finds someone from her old village, like, Hey, come back. Uh, there's somebody who's the, the elders are looking for you. The elders come and they say, Hey, we want you to, there's somebody coming to, 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 to raid the town. We want you to, to take over. And they trick her to, to, to being, in in charge and they leave town so they don't have to be the ones who take the f- fall either when the emperor takes over the town or she stands up and she gets killed for treason they're like we have nothing to do with this but you just know that red sony is not going to lay down for this guy and in a weird way there's a lot of modern speak in red sony like a modern feel in this like sword and sorcery age or everything and it's the same writer who was doing that kind of with uh the lone ranger and i've been loving it so in a in a weird way it did like you said it didn't have a feel that i thought it was going to be but i thought it flowed really good and it entertained me it made me laugh a couple of times like with the with the emperor being just a jerk and like the way he was talking about the tortures and stuff i don't know in the end, I thought this was a really good looking book and I really enjoyed the story. So this is going to be, now that he's going to be done with Lone Ranger in a week or two, I have a new, you know, Mark Russell book. Right. So for me, you know, we have extolled the virtues of that uh, Gail Simone run on this and how really good that was. And they've brought other writers and creative teams on it since then. I think Gail Simone had like a two year run in the book and that was really good. And, you know, we'll give everyone a look, and this is the first time since Gail Simone left the book that we're kind of talking about on the show. And from that run, and Red Sonia other appearances elsewhere, the Tarzan miniseries that wrapped up a couple months back as well, it's like, how is Red Sonia going to get her way out of this uh, predicament? Well, there's going to be a lot of fighting, there's going to be a lot of swordplay, and then some drinking and carousing. 
Well, she's put into a situation where, yes, she could do those things, but she also has to do things a little bit more diplomatically as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the the rub to this book that I'm like, okay, I'm interested to see what happens next. And, and as you had mentioned, the dialogue was very punchy and felt of its time, but it also felt as though, and I mean this in the in the best way possible, like if this was a movie, this is how these characters would talk in a movie made today. Okay. If that makes sense. They wouldn't be speaking in like these and thous or whatever you would do. They would be speaking in a kind of over-the-top madman sort of way. Right. And that's how they are. And I like the book. I, again, another book that I was surprised by coming into this week's show. I was too. Like I said, the only reason I really wanted to read it was to, to uh, like I said, because I really enjoyed his Lone Ranger. So, and you know, I got another book. How come every time I get rid of a book, Joe, I get another book? <laughs> Comics are like Hydra. You, you you stop getting one, and two more take its place. Oh my goodness. Speaking of more books taking their place, that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, sometimes earlier, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them shipped to your home, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned and be forearmed, know what's coming out. Uh, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is currently in the lead with two correct guesses over me. We'll see what we could do about changing that or altering that or whatever it is. Now, I'm not even acknowledging the fact that you'd put a question mark in the middle of Spider-Man in a ultimate sign of disrespect. Uh, I'm just going to leave that as it is. But I think the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Wonder Twins number one. It is Wonder Twins number one, written by the aforementioned Mark Russell, mm-hmm. not the one from the the political song parodies, like oh. you said. A different Mark Russell. Mm-hmm. The one who does Lone Ranger and uh, Red Sonja. Red Sonja, yes. Gotcha. So, looking over your list, because you really enjoyed Red Sonja, is the book you're looking forward to most also Wonder Twins number one? It is Wonder Twins number one. Uh, I had people accusing me that I was lying when I said this, because uh, Gideon Falls is back after being off for two months. Criminal number two is out. Thor. Thor is uh, ramping up toward the big crossover. But, uh, you know, a new number one. I I really uh, enjoyed Naomi. That was a pleasant surprise. Uh, I'm coming around on Young Justice. Uh, First issue, didn't love. Second issue was much better. And uh, this being part of the Wonder Comics line, uh, you know, this will be whether or not I give Dial H for Hero a whirl as well. Ooh. That's a premise that never really spoke to me. So that's a tough sell. And, and you know, and that's that's another one. That's one of those weird, quirky... uh, things that DC does infrequently enough that whenever they give it a try, I'm like, all right, let's see how Dial H, like, let's see what new take on Dial H for Hero you have this time for me, DC. They dial an H, they get a hero. Mm -hmm. This is a completely fresh take on it. Stop it. it. But it's who the heroes are and who gets the dial. There's a lot of other variables, Todd. Come on. Well, that's the whole gimmick with it is that every time it has to be a new and completely different. You can't do the dial the same hero dialed up twice ever, so it gets it gets crazy. 
Did you know that about Dial H for Hero? I did, but that's what I'm saying. It's it's different heroes every time. It's a different person who has the dial. Mm. A lot of variables. There are variables. I like math in my comics. <laughs> Comic math. Right. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out everything that Todd and I have done, whether it be past episodes of this show uh, past episodes of After Dark, 2017 Smash Sensation, Todd and Joe Have Issues, and again, of course, episodes of At Odds with Wrestling show up over there as well. I'm sure there'll be discussions this week about the passing of a world wrestling entertainment legend and uh, the current doings when it comes to uh, young Becky Lynch and her quest to be the main event of WrestleMania. Hmm. Interesting. Can't wait to listen. Right. Or to have someone tell you when you weren't mentioned on the show. That is true. Uh, also check out our store where you can purchase uh, shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them, as mentioned uh, before, with art by the DC Comics artist extraordinaire Tom Derinick. And of course, you could also purchase anything else in the world to your heart's content, or even pre-order stuff. I think I forgot to mention last week, somebody did like a Prime membership or some sort of subscription service. Uh, mm-hmm. through our Amazon click-through. And I don't mention this enough, but if you go and do a free trial of something, whether it be like Kindle Unlimited or whatever the music service is called or just Prime in general, if you do the free service and then cancel the same day, we get the credit for it. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity. That's a prime opportunity, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week. Uh, someone purchased a Chromacast CCDMIC stand microphone stand. Uh, maybe they're doing some fancy podcasting. Probably. Mm-hmm. Somebody also purchased, and I, I include the full description as well, only because I love when they do these sort of things. It's a ZDT gaming wired gamepad controller joystick for pc playstation 3 android and steam not support for the xbox that's right no one supports the xbox (laughs) it's just funny that it has and the controller itself looks like an xbox controller Mm. so they obviously had to throw into the description that while this looks just like an off-brand xbox controller it does not have support for the xbox you can play it on the Jaguar, but you can't do it oh. on the Xbox. You can hook your Virtual Boy up to it, but don't use it on the Xbox One X, or whatever the new Xbox is called. Uh, and somebody also purchased, uh, for their viewing pleasure, the horror film Happy Death Day. Sequel coming out. Right, now. A funny story about this. So, the sequel coming out is called Happy Death Day to You, like Top of the Muffin to you. But Happy Death Day to You is coming out, and this is one of those deals where the ad push is happening hot and heavy, mm-hmm. and whatever the algorithm on the YouTube that my kid watches, he gets mm-hmm. a lot of ads for this, and it scares the hell out of him. What? I feel so bad for him, because he freaks out every time the ad comes up, you know? That kid's going to be trouble. Mm-hmm. He's going to be something. So, thank you everyone who made any sort of purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week. Uh, it's always greatly appreciated. Now, this is the 
partial end of the show where we're going to bid you adieu if you do not want to hear us discuss the most recent episode of The Flash. Uh, did not see it, don't want it spoiled, or just don't care. Which, you know, that's completely up to you. Uh, so, again, thanks for listening to episode 437, Longbox Heroes. Uh, and we'll uh, see you all here next week, and then we'll take a little bit of a break for a Flash talk. All right, so, Flash Talk. This is Gold-Faced, <laughs> starring the villain Gold-Face. So, your three plots that are going on on this episode is, uh, again, we don't have enough budget to have Cisco on this episode, so we'll talk about him. I think mm-hmm. Caitlin's in one scene at the very end. Uh, but Barry and Ralph decide to go undercover into the illegal black market run by Goldface, comic accurate, uh, so that they can get some sort of thing to stop Cicada. Whatever that thing is doesn't matter, because we'll get to that later. Uh, uh, what's, uh, what's, uh, Nora is attempting to distract Sherlock Wells by getting to fall in love so that that will take up his time and he'll stop trying to figure out what she's up to with Eobard Thawne in the future. And then our C plot is uh, Iris is doing something with her newspaper and uh, she runs afoul of Cicada because she goes into his house. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like the episode a lot. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, you know, anytime Barry is a focal point of the show, I think it's the, at its strongest. And it was good to see Barry stretches acting chops this week. Uh, I do have a lot of thoughts about this episode, though, so you, you can go ahead. I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was uh, the the greatest episode ever, uh, but I enjoyed it. Like I said, uh, the, the once again, Cicada's strong acting chops come through. Um, that's all I'm going to say on that. Uh, I didn't, I didn't care for that part of the storyline. Um, the, you know, uh, the bit where they go undercover to the, to the black market thing, Barry, once again, someone who talks a lot to like Nora and all these others that you can't screw up and you can't do this. Like he immediately, like he can't think of another way to get those guns. He's like, you know, Ralph's like, low profile and then he starts asking all these dumb questions about these guns that are that are cop killers and i get that he's a cop and he wants to stop them but it's like you know like you can only do so much barry and he ends up getting them into trouble because of that so i was kind of like with barry on that and then you hit the the sherlock wells nora thing which i i i always enjoy wells stuff wells is the best but the woman who's playing Wells's ex-wives, and we find out that they are all the same person from different Earths, all his previous ex-wives, even the ones that he's married a couple of times, um, are are from the you know the same different versions. And I was like, okay, the, the actress who does it isn't as strong as uh, the guy who plays Wells. So like all the different. Uh, versions i'm not as intrigued and anytime you see that room and other earth uh versions of people showing up you're you're thinking it's the 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 group of wells people the thing and it just it didn't work for me as well because she's not as strong of an actress do you know what i'm trying to say i'm all over the place yes Uh, again i got what they were trying to do of course do the gimmick with the multiple wells and of course the joke is great because they're all the same woman from different timelines because he has a type, a very specific type. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it, she's a fine actress. 
she's no, uh, oh, what's his face? Uh, uh, Tom Cavanaugh. Right. She does not have the quality of thespianism as Tom Cavanaugh. Right. So, uh, I thought that was fun just because more Sherlock means more iron for me. And if there was never, if we've never said it on the show that Iris is the worst. Right. Okay, this not only shown a light... Okay, so you mentioned how, while that woman may be a good actress, when in a scene and in multiple scenes with Tom Cavanaugh, no matter how good of an actor you are, you really got to step your game up. Right. The opposite, in effect, with uh, Cicada. And I think Iris, the, the actress who plays her, she is a good actress. However, when left to her own devices and the only other person she has to play off is the big doofy dude from American Pie. <laughs> Ooh, those are some rough scenes, man. Mm-hmm. I get you. Those were just tough scenes. I just want to get back to the Wells thing. The fact that they threw on that the Earth uh, version of the woman that he loves, the Earth 1 version, just happens to be a meta, and they do it in the cheesiest way possible, that she opens the door without even thinking about it. And I was like, and he's like, oh, he's, she's a meta and Cicada won't kill her. I will save her. And I'm like, wow, that was, that was really ham fisted right at the end of this episode. So I don't know. Like I said, it had its up moments and it had its down moments. Right. I thought, like I said, the, the Iris Cicada stuff was bad. I love the Sherlock Wells stuff. And I know that you said that Barry made some bad mistakes and obviously I get why he's making the bad mistakes, but in the season where he's telling his daughter stop making bad mistakes and he's making more than she is, uh, eventually that's going to have to come to a head where she's going to have to call him out on it. Right. And they got to play laser tag to to Rob Zombie, so... How weird was that? As a, Do- as a fan of Rob Zombie's music and that song, it's a fun song, you know? But it's a song from, like, 1996, and it was really tonally out of place, and mm-hmm. as I was watching The Flash, I th- I'm watching it on my computer, and I thought accidentally, like, another player opened up, and was randomly playing that song, and I'm like, no, this is actually in The Flash itself, this is so weird. That was the thing that I thought, too. I was the same boat. Love this song. Love, I like Rob Zombie. I'm not going to say I'm the hugest Rob Zombie fan on the face of the earth. Uh, but I was like, okay. I, 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 I don't get it. Like you said, like it's 1996. It's like so far out of the wheelhouse. It's not like the lyrics have anything to do with what's going on. The only thing is that they just needed a, a guitar riff with a heavy drum to like, it's a fight scene. I'm like, okay. And I guess they, you know, they couldn't afford ACDC. So like, they got Rob Zombie. Well, I'll go you one better. They were able to afford any music other than just like, we could have just brought a guy to randomly come in and just go while it was going on. And like, right. we don't have to pay any royalties for that. Because no, it's just a guy had, like playing the guitar. They've had other like modern songs during the, the, the series that they had to probably pay for. So I don't know. I get, you know, 
Right now, um, I remember when Smallville would do stuff like that, where they'd be like a featured song in the episode, and at the end of the episode, they'd be like, oh, uh, you know, the song you heard this week on Smallville was XYZ by whomever it was, and then like halfway through the season, they're like, buy the music of Smallville on CB, a CD from Warner Brother Music. I'm like, okay, synergy, I get what's going on here. But mm-hmm. the Rob Zombie stuff was just so random. I agree. I, I was even like, huh? Okay. So. I don't know. Like I said, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked The Flash. I thought this was a fun episode. And uh, I, I hope the kids were watching for when Goldface got electrocuted and Molten Metal bled out of his eyes. Yeah, but he's fine because they said he's alive. Right, he's still got a pulse. <laughs> he's alive. I can feel it through all this gold. <laughs> It was like in the G.I. Joe animated movie. <laughs> Are you aware of this? Yes. Uh, so, okay, so you're aware that in the Transformers animated movie from the 80s, they kill Optimus Prime amongst dozens of other Transformers, right? Right. Blo- b- broke broke my mind in 84. Broke my mind. Right. So apparently that didn't sit too well with kids and or parents. Mm-hmm. So when they already had it animated that Duke was going to die in the G.I. Joe movie, mm-hmm. where Serpentor takes a snake and throws it at him like a javelin, it, like, hits, it hits him in the heart and he bleeds out. That's right, the old snake straightener Serpentor. And at the end, like, Duke is dead. He got a snake thrown through his body. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the movie, like, with, like, three minutes left, they're doing whatever, and they're getting stuff together, and then all of a sudden, somebody off-camera says, Hey, everybody, Duke's gonna be okay! G.I. <laughs> <G>. Joe! <laughs> yep. That's, so, it's like, oh, these kids got really attached to this gold face character. And we already <laughs> spent all the special effects to make molten metal pour out of his eyes. I really wanted, like, Barry to go down and feel for a pulse, them cut to Ralph. Somebody needs to do this. Somebody who is much better at anything than me. (laughs) Take that clip from The Flash last week, and where Barry goes and feels his neck, they cut to Ralph, and then you dub in the line from the G.I. Joe movie of them saying, (laughs) "Duke's, hey, everybody, Duke's gonna be okay. Oh, see, I think they should have had In the Arms of an Angel play there instead of, uh... Instead of Rob Zombie in the earlier on, they should have saved the money for when Goldface goes down. <laughs> Oof. And we're ribbing um, on this episode a little bit, but I had fun. I love The Flash right. still. Yep, it's I it's still too. a good show. I'm glad, you know, they can get Goldface in there. So, And I like that they mentioned that he was... Uh, he was dating uh, What's-Her-Face from the earlier episodes. I can't think of her, the character's name. Uh the one that was the girl from Battlestar Galactica, Katie Sackoff. Right, who he was uh, tied to in the comic books. Right, yeah. So he's like, yeah, the, his old lady who's up and and he's taken over because she's disappeared. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. So yeah. looking forward to this week's episode. So Yep, absolutely. All right, so anything else we need to discuss this week or did we do a full episode of show? I think we did a full episode and then some. All right. So I could say thinks, this. Oh, I mean, I was going to say there. this episode's definitely full of it. But mm-hmm. go ahead. So thanks everyone for listening to episode four hundred thirty-seven. 
I don't know. You're supposed to be keeping track of these. 437. I, I, I mess it up all the time at the end of the show, so I always second-guess myself. So thanks for listening to episode 437 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. 